Hi, I'm Dan Schinder. And I'm Stephen Schinder. And we did not write each other about what shirt to wear. We just told each other what shirt we're not wearing. That's funny. Right. Yeah, I finally uh, went ahead and got this Cruise to the Edge shirt because I figured, why not? It's it's like pretty cheap. Right yeah, now. and you got it for me. And yeah. uh, just like real quick, I'm I'm curious. Do you think they'll do this? This I'm pointing. <laughs> See the itinerary. You know, this is a collector's item because they planned this, then it didn't happen, and now that they're out doing the fiftieth close to the edge thing, I wonder if it'll happen in like the spring or something when all that comes back. Right. Yeah, because Cruise to the Edge happened this year, but Yes wasn't part of it for some reason. Like only Billy made it on. With Which is Baker's weird. That's band. like Beatles at the Hollywood yeah. Bowl, but <laughs> Beatles aren't there. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 weird. It definitely. But yeah, so we got a news episode, a news desk edition, a news report type of thing again. Uh, we got a bunch of things to talk about. Uh, there's a little bit we'll talk about uh, regarding of a Sherwood Brothers contributions on David Page's Forgotten Toys album. I've got a recap of the John Anderson Zoom Ask Me Anything that I intended online. That's there's cool. Some yeah, there's some Rick Wakeman updates and we have some listener questions and like just a bunch of other things. So yeah, quick Oliver um, Wakeman tidbit, all kinds of other things. Yeah. So um, sit back. There will be an intermission. This is going to be about three hours long. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right, that would be something. <laughs> now, our, our, if you're new to this or you've only seen a few, our shows are right around almost exactly an hour. There's been a handful of times we've gone longer and certainly times when we've gone shorter. When we have um, guests on, they're close to an hour, two and a half if it's Mike Tiano, which by the way, he's going to be, just kidding, Mike. <laughs> Mike's going to be on with us, Steve, on um, the 14th, a week from tomorrow as we're broadcasting live. So Mike Tiano uh, will be a third time offender. <laughs> Yeah, that, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so let's get into it. So this first news item we have, uh, we mentioned a while ago that a couple Yes shirts appeared in the Paramount Plus movie, Jerry and Marge Go Large, and apparently there was an auction for some of this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I just, sorry, yeah. I just think it's so funny. I love this. You can buy <laughs> Rain Wilson's <laughs> wardrobe. I can't even say it with a straight I think it's cool. How... How culturistic is that, that one culture totally made its way into another culture, and now it's a culture within the culture it came from, dressed like Rain Wilson, if you're a Yes fan. I just think that's a, such a trip. I love it. Yeah, it's and it sold for uh, $400, apparently. So, wow. Did it yeah. go to a charity or... Um, I didn't see mention of a charity, okay. but on a mate, there could have been a part that I missed, but yeah, that's how much it sold for. Um, now was it the actual, what he, he actually wore in the show? Uh, in the movie, in the uh, movie? Jerry and Marge Goarge. Yeah. So it's actually from wardrobe. It's not just, Hey, let's match this hat with this shirt and that shirt. 
Yeah, like, like it's like on the page it was titled uh, "Rain Wilson Wardrobe" or whatever. So I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's what he actually wore. So it's a one-off thing. It's not like hanging up at Sears or something. Is there still a Sears? <laughs> <laughs> There's an Adam yeah, Sears, but oh yeah, from Mobate Scarf. That <laughs> they, they had a. a Lobate Scarp had like a Labor Day uh, weekend sale oh, recently. Yeah. So, yeah. Very um, people cool. can check them out on Bandcamp. Um, well, this is but, neat. Yeah. I like it. But yeah, speaking of Bandcamp, um, something I discovered uh, like just right before the show, basically, is that Fernando Perdomo, who has a guitarist who has worked with Dave Kersner. And even, uh, I think, co-produced that Yesterday and Today tribute album with him. He, uh, I found out he's part of this band called The New Empire, which is basically, like, continuing the legacy of that Peter Banks band, Empire, and playing his music and whatnot. And uh, one of the songs from, I think this was from his first solo album, which he talked about, Two Sides of Peter Banks, the song Nights. A uh, cover of that appeared on Fernando's newly released album on Bandcamp titled Covers. And if people like look at the album cover, it's like, you know, blanket covers. That's just really funny. Um, yeah, there's like some interesting stuff on there. I know that, uh, I think Carmine Apiece is on one of the songs. I'm oh, just really? At the, yeah, I'm just looking at the track list real quick. Um, Carmine's so, on everything. If you give Carmine a hundred bucks, he'll play on your album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's on. Maybe I'm amazed. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I also see that uh, Denny Sywell. Oh, nice. Yeah, is it, on. Some people never know. You've uh, met there, him. There, yeah, there, there are a bunch of things on here, like Staying Alive, yeah. you know, a bunch of things that people recognize. There's like 40 tracks on this. That's so um, cool. Yeah, so uh, that came out on, actually on Bandcamp Friday. Uh, so uh, no coincidence there, I'm sure. But the thing that I ended up getting for Bandcamp Friday is that I uh, ordered the version of Dave Kersner's The Traveler CD where it has like the single edits of the songs and this isn't something I would normally do because like I'm very much a longer versions person especially when it comes to prog but if this was like a limited run of signed copies so I was like yeah what the heck so looking forward to getting that in the mail and of course uh yeah for the rest of the months this year the first friday of each month will be bandcamp friday and which uh, means the artists get a lot more royalty yeah um so yeah really neat stuff going on and we also got this is sort of tangentially related but it's like very prog and we just like like can't not talk about it because we're so into it uh, there was an announcement uh, related to Carl Palmer's EOP legacy, wasn't there, Dad? Absolutely. And we got our box sets. Mine's right there. Thank you so much, Chip. Um, they're yeah, finally going to... Yeah, they're, they're going to show... Singles box set. It's so cool. Seven-inch vinyls, all kinds of artwork, classic stuff from Japan, uh, 
the artwork. Really, really great commemorative package. And we spoke with Carl Palmer back in May, was it? And June 1st. June, thanks. June 1st <laughs> at noon. <laughs> yeah. And Carl, I asked Carl about, you know, is there any truth to the thing that they were going to do with uh, Keith Emerson and um, Greg Lake? Sorry, still had Mr. Podomo up there. Um, on holograms. And he said, long, short answer from me is, long story short, it just became more authentic and better to do with them actually on film and then sync it up and match it up, and which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, um, video walls. Yeah, big giant video walls. So there's, uh, we posted about it and there's pictures and this is going to be great. And we're, we put a note out, hopefully going to get Carl on again to talk about because it, it was something we kind of touched on then. He gave a lot more yeah. information than I even expected because it was still in the works. They were still working it out. But it seems like they got all worked out. So I'd love to have Carl back on. One of my biggest influences. Um, really, really just amazing music. So, so I saw – I have to bring this up. Yeah. And I had to bite my tongue and just not say anything on – Oh, yeah. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Someone commented on that post. Um, how could it be called Return of uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer if two of them are dead? It's like, are you a fucking idiot or something? Or do you think we all are? And I, I, wrote, I, I did write, read the post. That's all I wrote. But I mean, <laughs> why do you even have to... Like, you're going to have a wordsmithing argument here or semantics. I mean, it's just, I just hate when people have to find something to be dicks about. So, there, I vented, got out of my system. We are very excited about this. And Stephen and I, well, I'm speaking for you. I believe I'm correct. We're going <laughs> to buy uh, phonographs so we can play this amazing box set. I have a phonograph, but I don't dare play this on it because it's a 1924 Victrola and it's not made for that. It'll probably get ruined in the first two or three plays if it lasts that long, but it actually works. And we play records on it from the the 10s and the teens and the 20s. My wife and I, it's, it's pretty neat. So I'm thinking of getting one. You saw that picture I sent you, right? Of a bunch of record players starting at like 50 bucks. Um, I don't remember seeing them actually, but yeah, it'd be cool. Like e even without the phonograph, like, these are really cool discs to yeah. have. And, like, just aesthetically, show, they're so show good. Show some I'm, other stuff. I, yeah, I, I'm just getting, like, the cards um, out so I can pick up, like, the Yeah, hold on. Hold them up closer. Oh, yeah. Um, you just, like, flashed one? them. They're not flashcards. Right, yeah. They're, I'm they're just to trying to figure out, like, which one to show. Uh, so that's uh, Tiger in the Spotlight. Yeah. Um, Hold it there and for longer. Got... What are you chipping people out for? Oh well, well, I mean, this is also um, uh, there's Tarkus, Japan, the, yeah, the Japan hand, not handwriting but text. Uh, Lucky man, it's got like those uh, geometric patterns. Um, but yeah, let me just like get out. One oh, this people love this one, right? Oh yeah. Uh, they're Love Beach. Probably their best album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the booklet has um, a little essay about like the history of ELP. And um, I was kind of surprised that it didn't mention E.L. Powell because 
Uh, I know it was a different band because different drummer, but it's still like you know within that realm of like the history. But yeah, it's like, I don't know if they were. I don't know if they were limited on page space or no, what. But it was a conscious branding decision. Yeah. Right. But um. Okay. So here's the Lucky Man disc. So you got a bit of that. Yeah. Um. These are again seven eight inch vinyls, hundred and eighty gram. I yeah, think I, I'm like trying to be like super careful taking these out. Here, I'll show um, my the cover of mine. Oh, here's from the beginning. It's like bluish, transparent. Oh, that is so cool. I don't. I didn't even open mine. I mean, I opened this, yeah. but I didn't. I didn't see that one. But this is cool. The holographic. Is it showing? Yeah. They did yeah, a really great job with the packaging. Yeah, uh, I saw earlier Carl put out a video on his Facebook page that. where, oh yeah, where he's like, for uh, from the beginning we didn't use the actual cover, we use the first album cover, even though it's not from that album. But who cares? It's like, yeah, who cares? I you like know? that. Um, but yeah, looking at this art gets this is gonna sound really goofy, but looking at this art makes me nostalgic for 2008, which was when I was getting into ELP. Oh, interesting. Know? Yeah. Um, huh. But yeah, th this is a neat thing to have. And of course, um, that Carl Palmer tour is happening this fall. Starts um, in November, I think, right? Yeah, and it's in the, I believe in the East Coast, if yes. I remember correctly. Yeah, all the right. dates were East Coast so far. See if we can get them okay. out here. Play yeah, apparently house. tickets, <laughs> that would be amazing. But yeah, apparently tickets go on sale uh, the 9th, which is this Friday. So I guess people keep an eye out on the like Carl Palmer and DLP social media. Yeah, more and, dates, hopefully, and locations. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to get super distracted if I try. Like, okay, yeah, no worries. You do, you do that and I'll, <laughs> okay, so put it all away. So a little shout out to Oliver Wakeman and his beautiful bride of 20 years married yesterday it was 20 years ago today they later turned turned to me to say i do she did and they are 20 years so she deserves a medal because i mean <laughs> any woman that could be married to a rock star let alone a casual musician for 20 years they deserve a medal sorry and it goes the other <laughs> way too if the guy's not a musician but the girl is same thing 20 years you get a medal Right. And uh, just real quick, I want to read the, again, congratulations to Oliver and uh, his wife. Like, that's that's a huge feat, 20 years. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just real quick, I see a few comments. Uh, Chip Ritter says, uh, hi, Lionel. I, I don't know if that's a location. Um, maybe he's saying that to another viewer. Oh, maybe. Uh, also says hello from Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, he's down and, south. Oh, oh wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, there is a, a Lionel Haycock who says hello from Australia. So, oh, hey, Lionel. Nice. From yeah, down under. Got... It's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chip is two hours and four minutes south of me. And Lionel is about 19 hours south of me by plane. <laughs> I've been there. I know. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that was like a nice little uh, Beatles reference in Oliver's yeah. post. And as always, we're looking forward to whatever music he puts out. Yeah, we got to get him on again. Folks, if you don't know, he's been on the show with us. 
a great interview, and, and I'm giving all of her all the credit. Well, some of it to Steve, none to me, but it was a great <laughs> interview. In that the stuff he spoke about, and he was just so much fun to have on. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So even with all the weird sort of yes bashing that goes on, they have a sold out tour in Japan. It's a few dates, but they sold out um, everywhere. And yeah, they uh, had to add an additional show because of that. <laughs> yeah. There's Billy before the first show. And uh, that's really cool. It's an amazing country. They've got great audiences for British and American music and Prague. And you know, there's, there's a huge legacy there going all the way back to the early 70s, late 60s. Um, so good for them. Stage looks awesome. Billy looks good. Um, and... Uh, well, I'll mention this. It's okay to mention. We've spoken to Jay Shellen, and he's going to come on after they come back from Japan and while they're gearing up for the rest of the tour. He's, we're going to pick a date either during rehearsals and staged um, prep or from one of the actual gigs. So we'll keep you posted on that. Have Jay Shellen on for the first time. Yeah, that, that'll be really cool. And... Yeah. Um, as far as the set list goes, like they've only done the first two shows of the Japan League so far. Like they started yesterday and did another one today. Um, it looks mostly the same, uh, but they've dropped uh, No Opportunity Necessary and Dare to Know, which, I mean, it's hmm. kind of a bummer that they dropped those particular songs. Uh, for the first show, apparently Steve Howe did an acoustic solo rendition of To Be Over. And today he did Clap from oh. uh, what I saw written um, either on Forgotten Yesterdays or Bandegazoo, one of those sites. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I, I do kind of like that. Because, um, you know, there's that whole Relayer debacle, but this is kind of keeping that in people's minds. So hopefully they still have plans to do that. Yeah. next year um i think the european dates are still advertised as doing that but we'll see i think they um, will i don't see why they wouldn't right yeah so uh again like uh, I, i'm very curious to see like what they end up because they said that one of the shows they'll do something interesting in the acoustic portion so i guess we'll Hear that by the time of next show, possibly. Maybe they'll so, do long we'll distance runaround QPR style. That would be amazing. That's my favorite version of long I distance know, runaround. That, that surprises <laughs> me, but uh, yeah, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I love the songs from Tonga's version. Actually, I love that. Yeah, like I mean, songs from Tonga's. It's just top tier it's godlike among the yes videos yeah you know <laughs> yeah it is they had the stage there roger and his brother and that was that i saw that tour in san diego that was a great show yeah um but also touring and playing yes music uh we've had both of these bands on tribute to the tributes over on wait when has there but... ever been other people touring and playing yes music? oh <clears throat> never mind never mind <laughs> yeah, so Total Mass Retain performed at the City Winery in Boston and New York City recently. And they'll be at Prague Stock in October. And uh, I think Awaken had a show a few weeks ago and will be performing at the Iridium in New York on September 
24th. So yeah, people can go find them on social media and see what they're up to. Some really neat stuff. Yeah, great bands. Yeah. They do a great job. And wait, hang on. Uh, it's my phone. Hang on. Okay. If it's for me, I'm not here. Is okay. it a flash flood alert? Uh, no, it's a cons- it's something else. Like, it's not bad. Um, <laughs> no worries. Let's okay, go. Yeah, it's it's like a conserve energy alert. So oh, okay. Hopefully, there's like no interruption or anything. So um, here's some big news. I think I'm curious how this will go over with people. Yes, music podcast, Kevin. Maureen is working on a Maureen. Tor- Maureen, sorry, working on a Tormato book. That is interesting because that was a weird time, and that that's yeah. one of those either love it or hate it albums for people. I happen to love it. I saw someone post in a yes group just within a couple of days ago. I think am I with the cover and said, "Am I the only person that loves Tormato?" I'm thinking, "No, I love it." <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people that do. We've had people comment on it. I've played it so much that I may have played that on Dan's almost daily vlog on Drum Talk TV almost as much as anything else I've I've played by Yes. Right. And like we've talked to Kevin before and he he's talked about how he loves Tormato. And so it just made perfect sense that he would go out of his way to make a whole book about it. And yeah. Uh, let, let me just read the like working title for it real quick. I thought uh, it was so, called "Working on a Tormato Book." <laughs> no, the um, the working title is "Too Close to the Edge: The Surprising and Instructive Story of Tormato, the Final Yes Album of the 1970s." And Kevin, appa- just go with splat. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it says that uh, there will be a foreword by a special guest. So I wonder who that'll be. So interesting. Yeah. Not Roger Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you imagine? Well, actually, maybe it'll be um, uh, the person who was like, because I think recently there was an episode of Yes Music Podcast where they interviewed the model who was on the cover oh wow i was gonna joke about that and say maybe that person yeah yeah so maybe but who is it is it any is it a famous model or actor is it alice cooper something crazy like that? it's not a name that i recognized when they brought it up but um but yeah people can go and check that out com. yeah cool go to yesmusicpodcast.com for that yeah and okay, so this next news item is David Page's Forgotten Toys album featuring the song All the Tears That Shine, which on this version features the Sherwood Brothers. Uh, there was a version that came out on Toto's 14th album, I think, several years ago. Um, and of course, Toto has like a, a little bit of a history with Yes members, like yeah. Billy Sherwood and his bands have worked with them and Steve Percaro worked with like uh, Chris Squire experience was even on the song open your eyes on the album. Right. And jo- John Anderson even guessed it on the song stop loving you back in the 
late eighties. Right. So it, it's a really nice cover. Yeah, the cover is great. Yeah, it's just you know the album covers are. I know people say don't judge something by its cover, but the cover really has to look nice and make a statement, and it really does that here. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple uh, articles about this on something else reviews, which I'll link either in the comments or uh, the show notes, um, either during the show or after the show uh, as I go. But uh, yeah, there's like this quote from a David Page interview over on something else reviews that Preston Fraser, I think Preston Fraser did the interview. He said, only one song dates back to about 2006. I started the riff for all the tears that shine right after Toto finished falling in between. I didn't get to writing the song until about four years later with Michael Sherwood. I overdubbed the music, essentially something totally new, and crafted it to the guide vocal he did and used it for my album. It's an outstanding performance vocally by Michael. We're honoring his passing by putting it on the album. So yeah, you got Michael Sherwood on lead on this version and Billy on backing vocals. so, so yeah, what what do you think about uh this? I, well I was gonna ask you, um first of all, I was really I don't want to use the word surprised as in I didn't expect it to be good. That's not what I meant, but I was pleasantly pleased and surprised of Michael's voice. But did it remind you of somebody? Yeah, I think a while ago when we listened to other stuff, we might have mentioned how he kind of sounds like Peter Gabriel. Yeah, places. he sound, to me sounded a lot like Peter Gabriel from um, something from us called, I can hear it in my head. Um, it's really a slow song. He sounds a lot like that, but he sounds really good. Billy sounds good. It's a really neat, enchanting song. And I listened to the whole album and it's really good. Yeah, it feels reminiscent of Toto, but it doesn't feel too retro. Like, I know some of these songs are, like, things uh, David had lying around that he didn't get to until, like, this album. But, yeah, like, this sound is kind of, it's reminiscent of Toto, but it doesn't feel, like, the production feels modern, you know? It feels very clean and just really great soundscape. Um, Yeah. And... To be honest, the only Toto songs, like I've pretty much only listened to a few hits, you know, Hold the Line, Africa, Rosanna, Stop Loving You, and um, the other version of this song that they did that we just mentioned. But yeah, that's it's like kind of embarrassing on my part that for over a decade, I've been saying I should go through Toto's discography and I just haven't yet. It's No, yeah, that's it's all right. I, there's probably 30 <laughs> bands I've been saying that about and i'm just uh messaging the person in charge of the thermostat (laughs) yeah i mean things come up but it's like wow it's been it's been like 13 14 years since i said i'd go through all their discography it's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean I, i should be closer to like doing all that so uh we'll see then we got Chris um, yeah. Squire articles in Guitar World. Yeah, and they sort of came out of the blue because there wasn't really a particular occasion, but it's nice that they have like these topics. Uh, so this first article was titled, um, let me just see real quick. 
It was titled Remembering Chris Squire, the bass pioneer who redefined the instrument in the 70s with prog icons, yes. And this other article is titled something like um, like how he got his iconic bass sound, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, how Chris Squire got his iconic bass tone. And they include some interesting stuff. There are quotes from him about like his sort of upbringing and like doing choir stuff and working with a group that way. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really glad that Guitar World put out these articles to, um, uh, you know, Chris Squire is never leaving our minds when we talk about yes, obviously, but it's nice whenever they do this every now and then. Absolutely. And speaking of Guitar World, I picked up an issue featuring this guy. Oh, and right. Yeah. I just started reading it. You want to say who it is for the people? Only oh, listening. Yeah. Sorry for those <laughs> listening only. It's uh, Robert Fripp. And uh, he's wearing a wonderful outfit. Look at his cufflinks. They're like king crowns. Yeah, it's really fancy. Yeah, really neat outfit. Um, some great stuff in here. Old pictures with Bill Bruford. Uh, this is a rare interview. He does not do a lot of interviews. Um, so I'm really looking forward to digging into this. Yeah. And speaking of Bill Bruford, uh, of course, his YouTube channel is still having some uploads. Uh, there's like some Earthworks stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th- I'm just reading like the last few. Uh, Bridge of Inhibition, Candles Still Flicker in Romania's Dark, and Cloud Cuckoo Land. So yeah, very nice, very jazzy live stuff, very well shot. And um, yeah, I'm just glad that this channel is like still putting up lots of neat things from his career. Yeah. When was that filmed? Do you know, Steve? Uh, The most recent one was filmed in 2001, the most recent upload. Uh, The one before that's from 1991. Uh, And... There's one from 1999, so kind of all over the map. So okay. not just all like one thing. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Always happy to and, watch and hear new stuff from Bill that hasn't been released or we haven't seen, you know. Yeah, definitely. And um, we might have mentioned this before, but one of those Earthworks albums is being reissued over at Cherry Red Records. Um, yeah. Uh, random acts of happiness and it even includes the bonus track of that i believe is also a bruford song um just look at it real quick um but yeah another thing we recently realized is that the bruford episode that we did on like the first bruford album we actually did on like the 45th anniversary of when he started like working on that yeah album uh, but yeah, the buzz track is Beelzebub. Yeah. Cool. Um, but, all right. So on to Trevor Horn, of course, still touring with Dire Straits Legacy. And there was an article over at the Batavian or Batavian.com. A nice little review of a show. And there are some neat pictures by Steve Ognabin or Onabin. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but. There's a really neat one of Trevor performing uh, at the show and it just looks really nice. Um, 
And yeah, there was also a post by Niles Rogers recently uh, shared a TikTok video. Uh, Niles Rogers, yeah. Yeah, and uh, did you want to like take up that one? Or? Yeah, Niles Rogers, freaking legendary. And he says, after Madonna, NXS, Duran Duran, David Bowie, the B-52s, Diana Ross, We Are Family, and my own albums, I could have easily retired. And Trevor Horn's list is just as long, if not longer. But we're standing here on the breakfast ticket line because we love doing the job. And that's the best reason to ever do anything. So that's really cool. Both yeah, legendary, that, just legendary. Yeah, it was really cool <laughs> just seeing them, like, just hanging out. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned this before, but Trevor's uh, book, um, Mo- Adventure, Adventures in Modern Recording from ABC to ZTT comes out October 13th. So that should be an interesting read whenever that comes out and we're able to get it. Yeah. Cool. And and there's also a Tom Brislin interview over at cvindependent.com. He talked about the writing process with Kansas on the recent album, Absence of Presence. And it sounded really neat. Like they really wanted to see what he could do and not just tell him what they want, which is a really great way to collaborate. Um, he, he also mentioned that he was thankful that meatloaf was his first world tour so he wouldn't be too starstruck about yes uh he says uh that was a you know about yes he says that was a band whose posters i had on the wall when i was a kid i knew all the interviews and i knew the albums front to back who knows what would have happened if that was the first tour experience that's Um, cool yeah and we also got some Rick Wakeman updates, always very busy. Uh, he was a guest at the Piano Technicians Conference at the Granary and played the largest piano built in the late 1930s. And there is a photo by Nigel Donovan over on uh, Rick's website. It looks really neat. And on August 29th, he was also at the Holywell Rooms in Oxford for an in-conversation type of thing with Professor John Kovac. Uh, and he says it was a love, he was a lovely and extremely knowledgeable man. It was part of the Humanities Cultural Program, one of the founding stones for the future Stephen A. Schwartzman Center for the Humanities. And uh, as we speak, the Starmus Festival is going on from the 5th to the 10th. And uh, this is Rick's first time in Armenia, I believe. Mm, wow. uh, yeah, he said he'd be playing the theme music with the orchestra, which I wrote for Starmus some years ago, as well as playing the piano on Space Oddity for Chris Hadfield, the Canadian astronaut, famed oh, wow. for his great version, which raised a small fortune for charity. Chris is a lovely guy, and this will be the third time we have played it together. Um, and he also said in this article over at mediamax.am, I guess this was translated, uh, he said, 10 years ago, Brian May called me and said, you should come and participate in Starmus. I'm personally fascinated by science, and I think one of the most important things that has been done wrong in the UK was a separation of art from science in schools in case when they are strongly interconnected. So that's a 
Yeah, that's an interesting view because in my head, I do separate art and science, except when it comes to like science fiction type of right. stuff, I guess. But yeah. people could, could find connections between the two. I mean, science, like music is an art, but it has a science and even math, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The science of math and tone and so many things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he also, uh, over uh, on rwcc.com, Rick September update included updates about the new album, A Gallery of the Imagination. He says it's finished and it's being mixed by Eric. And uh, he also says Haley completed all the vocals and like all the other participants did a fantastic job. There are 12 tracks, eight vocals and four instrumentals, two of which are solo piano pieces. There's mm. a real diversity of music on the album, which was always intended and works really nicely. Well, it does for me anyway. <laughs> Once mixed, hopefully by the end of September, it will go off for mastering and then I'm hoping it will be released in time for Christmas. So a Christmas album release that is not a Christmas album. Another <laughs> first for, another first for me. And it will be on sale on the Christmas tour. <laughs> yeah. And he says on Sunday, uh, September 25th, uh, his friend John Green will put him on, on a Rick Wakeman Sunday lunch in Sheffield type of thing. Um, and I don't know if like this uh, code is still going on, but uh, for the Rock and Romance cruise going on in March of next year, um, Rick shared the code Rick Wakeman fan, which people can use. And I think John Lodge, who's also part of that, also shared a code. Um, it might be John Lodge fan, but hmm. uh, yeah, people can go to like their Facebook pages and see for sure. Cool. Um, and now uh, on to my recap of the John Anderson. Yeah, I uh, want to hear Adam. more of this. I only heard a little bit from you. Yeah, well, first um, we'll mention uh, very quickly that uh, just today, or maybe within the past day, over on his YouTube channel and on his Facebook page, he uploaded the song uh, Opus Opus, uh, I think it's Song for Everyone or something like that. Um, it, it's an 18-minute track. and yeah, You are everyone. You are everyone. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And some of it feels like it was reworked from a few other Opus videos he uploaded back in 2020. And I may have even heard bits of this over on his Patreon. Uh, the piano stuff sounds good. There's bits of it that remind me of Angel's Embrace's um, very ambient sounding album from the mid-90s. Um, but yeah, like I love how the visuals, uh, like it's the visuals you'd expect from these John Anderson videos, but it also shows an orchestra and I like how it like crossfades yeah. and everything. It's just great production. Yeah, I agree. I love it. When I first saw it start to open up, I'm pretty sure that's his daughter's video work. She seems to have a very signature look as far as imagery and saturation. Do you, what do you think? Well, I know she's, I vaguely remember hearing that she worked on some stuff, but I know that John's also been working with uh, someone named Mickey Byrne or Michael Byrne. I think he goes by both names. Um, and he's been doing a lot of this video stuff. Uh, some of it is even on his YouTube channel. And it looks uh, great. Yeah. And oddly, uh, John has been uploading some song or 
I guess his team rather, you know, on his YouTube channel, um, been creating playlists called songs from another world. And it goes from like volume one to volume four. And they're the songs look, they looks like they're his songs from various solo albums of his, but also there's some John and Vangela's songs there as well. And I haven't gone through the playlist, like listening all the way through, but over on Bondi Gazoo, I read that apparently he's done some additional overdubs in places. Oh, um, so yeah. And I'm not sure like if there's like a theme tying each of these playlists, like if each volume might have a different theme, cause it feels pretty random and eclectic just looking at the song titles. But, and the, yeah, may- there's elements of, um, you know, obviously it's part of his signature since 1971, but I keep hearing we have heaven return in his work. Um, Hep Yetta, you know, from the latter, even some of that. I just hear like that's his thing. But the most amazing thing about this album, the video's great. The piece of music is great. Like Steven said, the production's great. It's nice and chill music. It, it, it could take you to a deep place. But the part that just really blows me away is he's going to be 78 next month um, in October. Yeah, he is. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. He still sounds 20 years old. And like many of his generation and business, he smoked cigarettes for a long time. I don't know. I don't care how much people say there's been some magic worked in the EQ and the studio and all that. None of that matters to me. And the reason why is because you have to start with something and you can't make magic unless there's magic already there. And it really blows my mind. He's that far away from being 80 years old. You know, that's just. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, he could be my dad technically. Right. You know, yeah. I'm I'm close to turning 60, folks, for those of you who don't know. And he could be my dad. <laughs> and he sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't think sure. he's my dad, though. <laughs> I think my dad was my dad. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I went to the online Zoom Ask Me Anything yeah. last, last Thursday. Um, and um, yeah, it, I mean, the conversation, like the Back and forth is more nuanced than my recap will sound. It was great, like seeing all the people like talk with him and seeing how John was very interested in what he was saying. And Paul Green was there moderating the thing, keeping it um, very coherent and whatnot. And yeah, wait, so, with John. <laughs> so um, John was asked about his autobiography, and he says he's written it uh so i don't know if that means he's gone beyond just that first chapter from a while back but um i i hope he finished i hope it's finished and comes out at some point but do we know the name of it um i don't if we do i don't know off the top of my head but uh he also mentioned the most important thing about making music is don't stress just let it happen you're creating what's already around you um, he mentioned an anecdote about how around the time Tommy, the Who album was being made, uh, Townsend saw him, I guess with the S and said, um, 
your band is pretty good type of thing. Uh. And he was also asked uh, why I would have waited forever was never sung live. And uh, John said he loves that song and he, he tried singing it for a little bit. It was like, I must have waited forever. So, you know, get, that's cool. It, yeah. Getting a word uh, wrong very briefly, but uh, he, he acknowledged that <laughs> it was kind of funny, but um, uh, he mentioned it's about waiting t- to be connected to divine energy, which I never really thought that was what the song was about. I thought it was relational. Uh, yeah. About like, relationship stuff, more earthly matters. But so yeah, he, he basically says uh, there are many songs that he'll do that will never get played live. And that's just how things are. Is this so, archived? Uh, I don't think so, but um, I don't know. I haven't looked, I, I haven't checked if it's like on the Patreon, but I, I basically took notes like a while it was, happening um that's some neat stuff yeah the before i forget there's gotta be another ask me anything in first week of october so do you know uh, the date and time i think i know i just first week of october is what i know so um oh wait hang on i'm looking right here um oh there's also one for gold and platinum patrons on this thursday at 7 30 p.m eastern um, cool. I think the October one will possibly be open to everyone, like this one that I went to was, but we'll pass on more information as it comes out. But yeah, continuing with the recap, uh, he said Vangelis could write a symphony every afternoon and they'd write a song in half an hour. Um, wow. Yeah, just. They had some magic going on, the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking at my notes. Uh, someone named Alessandro mentioned a song he wrote uh, called Just Like John Anderson and mentioned uh, the day he found tales in a record shop. So that was a neat little back and forth. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, and John also mentioned a time when, yes, we're in Switzerland and he found a swimming pool on top of the hotel. Uh, but when he woke up the next morning, he couldn't speak in the morning. And at, at the show in Milan the next night, uh, there were 10,000 people and he couldn't sing. And so uh, when they were doing And You and I, the audience, all, he said that the audience sang every song. And like, I've never heard of this. Like if, huh. like, I, yeah. It's, that would be an amazing bootleg, let alone on film. What year? Um, I'm not sure. He didn't mention the year, but. Um, but yeah, there's also, um, I'm just looking through my notes again. Um, oh, he talked a bit about soon and how magical that was. And he said he wrote the gates of delirium on piano and, um, I have in my notes, like, I don't remember the context of this. Maybe he was explaining like what the thought process was for the song, but I have quoted war. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but he said that, that soon was a very magical song to sing on stage after gates. Um, and he says he'll play gates of delirium next spring. So that'll be with the band geeks, which wow. we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, and he said he later met a spiritual teacher and she said, thanks for singing soon because we are all the light. Uh, um, 
Yeah, and someone asked him uh, what the Homeworld lyrics mean, and he said he wanted to do a video game album because video games reach people around the world. And uh, he said, uh, like, when they did the latter, they finally had someone ask if they want to do a song for a video game. So then they did the Homeworld song, of course. And um, right. he said he said the opening lyrics to Homeworld are. He pretty much compared them to like the beginning of revealing science of God, and how it, it feels like spontaneous poetry. Really, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking it through. I have a question I'd love to ask him, um, or submit to you to ask him if I can't make it. But that's of course if you just would rather ask mine. I'm not going to say you have to put yours on pass to ask mine. But you know what I would ask him? What? I would say, John, can you please give us the meaning of the title and deconstruct the lyrics to Siberian Katru? <laughs> what is that song about? Yeah, there might be an interview somewhere where he talked about it. So I'll have to see if I can find that. But um, yeah, someone also asked him the inspiration for the song Activate, which is on his 1000 Hands album. And uh, there, there's a dog that barked, and he was like, the dog gets it. And he said, it's the idea that we're always projecting what we're thinking, vote for this, vote for that. And he mentioned how in, um, I think, 1990, uh, based on like the context, he said he was in Big Bear and wrote five to ten songs with Brian Chatton, who was the keyboardist of the Warriors. I remember uh, when he lived in Big Bear. Yeah, and uh, they wrote oldies uh, type songs and he uh, put the tapes in his garage for 26 to 27 years and of course that became like some of what's on 1000 hands um, crazy and um, yeah and, and then I asked my question which was uh, what's the story behind the stop motion video that was made to promote Elias of Sun Hillo on Old Grey Whistle Test and so John said that he wanted a video put together for the whole album, but the record company said that he couldn't do that. So um, from the sounds of it, it sounds like somebody put the music video together real quick for Flight of the Morglade. Um, and John said um, the sequel album, Zamran, Son of Elias, is three hours of music, and the videos that Michael Byrne has made are great. Uh, he, he's, which is interesting because previously he said, like, in other things, uh, I think in a magazine interview that it'd be four and a half hours. So I don't know if he's miss wow. if he misspoke or if, if there's been like some editing down. But in any case, uh, he said uh, he's not sure when it'll come out since record companies can be a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm sure they love that. That'll help. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Way um, to win them over. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm really hope that comes out soon because he's yeah. been working on that for, he said for like five to six years, but I remember reading stuff from like over 20 no. years ago where like he mentioned it. He like could be 80 by the time he puts it out and goes on tour with it if he does. 80. Right. Um, and he also told us, uh, someone asked him about the story behind the name Mabel Greer's Toy Shop and why they went with a yes name. And That's of a course, good question. Yeah. And um, he didn't really say what the origin was, but he mentioned how he, when he met Chris, he said the name was too long. And 
of course, they did the whole thing where each person put a different band name in a hat and they went through them and went with Peter Banks's suggestion, yes. And someone asked, is it the yes? And he was like, no, just yes. <laughs> Who would ask that? Right. Um, yeah, it was like one of the band members at the time asked that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, one of the band members. I got it, got it. Yeah. That's all you meant uh, now. Right. Uh, he also talked about um, he has like 10 projects waiting to be done. <laughs> and uh, he's working on Chagall, which is uh, this project he started in 1980. And it's I remember it like hearing a clip from it on YouTube somewhere where it's a version of the song Picasso. And oh, um, yeah. Yeah. There's like a bootleg of Chagall somewhere like the 80s demos. Anyway, so I'm, I, I'd very much like to hear the finished form of that whenever yeah. John puts that out. Um, let's see. Uh, so, uh, someone asked uh, if he remembered going to Hungary in 1998. Uh, and that was like the Yes Tour at that time. Yeah, for Budapest. Your eyes. Yeah, and he says he remembers Hungary beat England at soccer in 1956. <laughs> um but um, he also mentioned how he recalled how after touring with Jethro Tull, he saw how Ian was a... Sh I think this is back in the early 70s, how Ian Anderson was such a showman and would joke with the audience. And uh, John would stand with a tambourine when playing with Yes and think, uh, in his own words, I'm so boring. And like, uh, it, some, it basically he said, sometimes it takes time to gain confidence and honestly like looking back at some of the older stuff i never thought that john would be thinking that that like i'm so boring like because right. even before he started like you know playing a guitar or whatever or telling stories I, I would think to myself john is so interesting to watch in these older videos um but yeah and someone asked how you create atmospheres in your music and he talked about how, like, when Close to the Edge was being made, he was listening to electronic music of Wendy Carlos, uh, particularly the album, Oops. or maybe it's like a long song or something called Sonic Seasoning. Um, and, uh, oh, also, there was a mention of how in summer of 2023, uh, Paul Green uh, takes on Europe is what they'll be doing. So I guess wow. they'll be taking that over to Europe, which is great because I'm so used to hearing that they're doing the East Coast, but yeah. uh, it sounds like they're going to do international. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm just seeing if there's like anything else. Um, oh, on the Fragile tour, John talked to Steve Howe about doing long piece of music. And of course, I guess that became close to the edge. And he mentioned a piece by Sibelius, which was 26 minutes long. It's called Seven Symphony. So he gave that a wreck. Mm -hmm. um nice. yeah oh that came about because someone asked um if he could play music with anyone from history who would it be and he said uh, sibelius yeah sibelius oh. um so yeah there might have been a couple things that i didn't get down but hopefully yeah, next time be more thorough <laughs> yeah i mean hopefully that sounded interesting yeah not just me so talking much neat at you type of thing no there's so much neat stuff there yeah and we we have some fan feedback you want to dig into that yeah for sure um but also before i forget um i forgot to mention this earlier but uh dave kersner made a post today saying almost done with disc two of the traveler special edition box sets 
It's trippy, connects the dots to my previous solo concept albums even more, and it's proggy in that it's technically one multi-part song over 40 minutes long. Wow. That plus some bonus tracks at the end. Ships Good. this month, regular version ships next week. So yeah, people can go to sonicelements.bandcamp.com nice. for that. Um, yeah, I was just reminded of that because of all this talk of long songs. But yeah, let's get to the listener uh, questions and yeah. whatnot. This is from Taylor Savi, I believe it's pronounced. I hope he's watching and listening. Uh, hey, fellas, I can't stop listening to the show. I have a very specific question for Dan. Me? He says, <laughs> as his technical knowledge of all things Alan White goes deep indeed. Thank you very much. Alan was one of my very, 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 very biggest influences, and I know all the yes stuff inside and out. Uh, he says, on the recording of Endless Dream Part A, Silent Spring, I have often wondered about the drumming. Since the drum tracks include both electronic and acoustic sounds, how much of the track is Alan White playing live drums? How much is programmed? This is an interesting topic. In fact, let me tell you a little story about this topic, and then I'll give my answer. Something's going to come out really soon from Miguel bass and it's going to be the tribute that used to be play for chris or words for chris is now play for chris and alan or words for chris and alan and steven encouraged me to submit something and i wanted to do something very different so i'll even spill the beans darn i should have brought that thing up from my studio i have my little cheat sheet still <laughs> that has the list so you could only submit something a max of 90 seconds I picked 15 Yes tracks, all from different albums that Alan played on, 15 Yes tracks with snippets that were four to about seven or eight seconds. 15 snippets, four to seven or eight seconds. When I got to the talk album, I thought, <laughs> I got to do Endless Dream. And if I'm going to do Endless Dream, it's got to be that crazy section. And so I didn't play all these, excuse me, I didn't play all these songs all the way through and then edit them. I edited the soundtrack I wanted to play too, and I put on a 27-minute loop, and I listened to it over and over and over and over, 90 seconds of this music with a few seconds of pause in between each one, just over and over and over. Then I didn't even play it until I went to record it. I didn't use the first take. I recorded it 10 times and I thought, and I'll finish answering the question. This is going somewhere. <laughs> I've recorded it 10 times with two cameras because I wanted to crossfade the shots so that people could see I was actually playing what you're hearing in real time. So I was all excited because I thought, I think those last two are usable. I think I'm good. I went to the camera that was facing me from the front and it, I use iPads as cameras and the storage was full. So it stopped recording after like the third take. Ah, so <laughs> I, I got everything all set up again. I recorded it four more times and the last three were very usable. I used the first of those last three. So I sent it to my friend, Jason Johnny, Jason Johnny, who's in played in uh, Queens ultimate class classic what's the name of the show oh boy he's gonna kill me the ultimate the queen ultimate queen celebration thank you 
And, and he plays on Broadway. He teaches. He's been at the Collective School of Music for years and years and years. And we do a show together on Drum Talk TV called Tribute to the Tributes. So I ha he's a huge Yes fan as well. So I sent it to him and you know he gave me some accolades. But then he mentioned exactly um, that same piece, Taylor. And he said, you know, I don't want to disrespect Alan, but I wonder how much of that is him playing. And I said, well, let me tell you what I think. So here's your answer, Taylor. Just spoken less than a week ago with Jason. Same topic. I remember when the album came out and scrutinizing the sound. 94, Steve, the year you were born, 96? Yeah, okay. 94. 94. And I remember just how in the future it sounded, how advanced and processed, but big and live and all these different things coming at you. And I also remember hearing or reading, I don't recall, an interview with Trevor Rabin. This was the first album ever recorded by a band to go direct to hard disc. Like when I read that, I didn't even know what the fuck that meant. But I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's neat. First time. Um, and then I, you know, I figured it out because I, I actually had a computer uh, a year later. But Trevor explained some of the process, how difficult it was, how he was taking volume to get to sleep at night, all this stuff. And then when I saw them live on that tour, I'm not sliding Alan for what I'm going to say, but I saw them at the Greek in Los Angeles and the live sound of his drums sounded like cardboard boxes. I did not have crap seats. I was really kind of taken aback by, by the sound. It's such a great uh, uh, venue. And to, to add to that, the chasm of sonic soundscape quality between talk and that piece in particular, Taylor, and seeing them live, it was just so confusing. So as time went on and I listened to it more and, and, and everything, I don't think any of it's played by Alan. I think it's all programmed. I think it's all programmed. And Jason said something that I was thinking in this conversation. He said, did you see me play talk uh, on my video I uploaded a few weeks ago. I said, I did. It was awesome. And he said, I spent so much time. Now, Jason Gianni's a polyrhythmic genius. And he said, I spent so much time, time trying to figure out what he was doing there. And I, I just couldn't do it. And I said, that's interesting because I, I've never been able to imagine doing four limbs and doing that. Like there's overdubs. There's this, I, I really think that some of the sounds are too consistent, too quantized. And if you're, if you're a drummer or any musician or even just an audiophile or a really avid music person, you can tell, yeah, I gotta demonstrate. You can tell if someone's hitting something the same way, exactly the same way each time, dogs are going nuts or <laughs> if it's slightly off and there's something about just the human element, no matter how perfect you want to be, where there's going to be a variation, the pattern he's playing, like with the symbol, there's zero variation. It sounds like a sampled sound that someone's playing that pattern. I think the whole thing was programmed. I'm not taking anything away from him as a drummer. 
um, especially if he's the one that programmed it. I think drummers are the best ones to program drum machines and and sequencers right. and, and things like that. And maybe Trevor did. He's a tremendous musician. But that's my long-ass answer to, first of all, giving the nod that, yeah, there's all kinds of questionable stuff there. And in my mind, it doesn't make it fake. It doesn't take away any genuinality out of it. No one's saying that it's something that it isn't. No one's saying it's out. No one's saying, so we don't know. Um, and even the way the credits are listed on that album, to my recollection, Steve will remember because he's got a, a photographic and audiographic memory. Steve, I think yes. that's the... Oh, what? sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like it's maybe selective, but... Okay, like, well, this is the topic. Like, 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 it's really wild what things I remember, but there are lots of things well, I Well, this is in that purview, though, because it's... Yes, <laughs> so right. let me ask you, is this possibly the only album that lists their credits so simply as John Anderson vocals, Trevor Rabin guitars, you know, where it's so basic and it doesn't break it down by who's doing what on each song and... You know, it's just so, and it, that makes right. it questionable. Well, yeah, like we know I think Trevor's it's... playing the piano in the beginning, and he did it live, and then they brought um, Billy Sherwood on tour as a surprise. Who's this sixth guy? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, you know. So yeah. I don't know thoughts. I do, I do remember the um, it, like it's saying Tony K on Hammond organs. Like it did feel very basic, like you're saying, like the yeah. way it was listed, but. Um, yeah, I think what you're saying, like, maybe that is what happened. And I'm okay with it. It's still a creation. It's still art. It's still music. It'd be different if, if, if they said, oh, that's all Alan. And then we found out it wasn't, that's a whole different conversation. That's not, no one's accusing anyone. We're just sort of pontificating in retrospect, what we think it might be because it doesn't say anywhere and you can't tell. And I know if you can't tell, what does it matter? But it's curious enough to ask the question. So Taylor, thank you for asking. That's my take. It sounds like your take is in your question that some of it sounds like live acoustics. Some of it sounds programmed. If it's programmed, they had to have programmed it first. And then he played to that part because it's almost impossible to do it the other way around. Unless because it was recorded to hard disk, then Trevor quantized the live drums. I mean, there's so many weird things there that the bottom line is no matter how it was done, I don't think it was all done in one playthrough. I think there's overdubs and all kinds of stuff going on there, which again, I'm fine with. Right. And like for what it's worth, like I know you mentioned the live sound was different for you, but um, like maybe it depends on the show. But when I listened to that, um, that bootleg. Of the mushrooms the I had might have been out of date. <laughs> maybe. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, but like uh, the bootleg, I remember hearing of like the talk tour show, like the second show of the tour and Ken and Daiga, I think it was. It's like I get nostalgic hearing the performance of Endless Dream on that. You um, said I used to play this bootleg a lot when you were little, right? Yeah, well, I remember like it was a cassette tape. That, right. Well, you had a cassette tape, but you also had like the two disc thing that had like the whole concert but the songs are like out of order for some reason um but i didn't cds yeah i do but like that cd i didn't get to like until later like i remember we would use the cassette tape on drives and would mainly listen to i think it was side b like one side had um 
What was it? It was I'm trying uh, to find it for those wonder because I think I remember it was just a white cassette with like Sharpie. It said talk. I think that was it. Maybe oh yeah, I, I have the. I, I'm sure I have the cassette somewhere, but I remember oh, I'm once, digging for it. And you have it. Yeah, I remember one side had rhythm of. It, I think it was cinema rhythm of love. Owner of a Lonely Heart, I'm Waiting, and then like half of The Calling, I think like the second half. And that was the side we'd listen to on drives. But then much later, like you're like, oh, there's actually another side to this. I had Endless Dream and Where Will You Be? And I was like thinking, where's this pin when (laughs) we like listen to this? I I know I was like super in love with Owner of a Lonely Heart at the time, but like, you know, it was just... When you, I knew, we know you were born the same year of the album, but how old were you when I was playing this? I probably like, I don't know, maybe like, oh, I might have been as young as like five when you were playing it, like that one side. And then I think it was, it was <laughs> like when I was, when I was, with you. And, th- and I think when I was like nine or 10, uh, Endless Dream is like listening to that other side is when that happened. Very cool. Wow. Thanks for that question, Taylor. That opened up an enormous can of worms. Um, thank you for that. And then we've got some what ifs from Ian Barber. Steve and I love what ifs. Uh, the first one is what if Rick Wakeman was on talk as the keyboardist? Yeah. So uh, do you I, want to go first or should y- I? Y- yeah. And my answer might come off as rude, but it is not intended to be rude. I think if if Rick was in the band at that time, I don't think we'd have talk. I, I think at least half those songs wouldn't have come to light or have been on that album. Would Endless Dream have been one of them? I don't know. If it was, how different would it be? You know, I don't know, because I think Rick would have been a very active contributor and he never recorded anything with those guys in that with Trevor as part of the lineup union was an amalgamation of different people's recordings. So uh, that's why I think it would be so different. Yeah. So my, my take on it is, so we know that after the union tour, you you know, they got you know, Bill left and then Steve was out, but Rick stayed in communication Mm -hmm. with the band um, and was going to be on the next album, but due to scheduling issues with like his touring and stuff, he couldn't like make it. So he ended up not being on it. Um, we know that talk was very much the John Anderson and Trevor Rabin collaboration and like for the most part and the other guys would add their contributions. Yeah. I, th- I think if Rick were involved, like if he somehow like didn't have scheduling conflicts and was with all of them, cause they were all in America, like, Right. I think pretty much all of them were living like in California and yep. maybe ne- Nevada possibly, but um No, they're all in yeah. LA, yeah. Yeah, like they were all there. So if Rick were somehow based there for a while with them, like I think he could have been spending time with John and Trevor, like writing songs. Like he would have been I'm sure they would have let him be very active and then let Chris, Tony and Alan add their contributions after the bulk of like 
uh, what we basically have an ARW album. I was just going to suggest yeah. that would that have ended up like that? But you mentioned Tony. Are you suggesting Tony K in the band as well as Rick? Yeah, I mean okay. that was that was the plan. But initially. I don't. But I don't but know. I think, I think I think Tony still would have been limited in his. But role, I don't know like, if that's just, what Ian is asking. If he, that's a great question, Ian. Let us know. Like he says, as the keyboardist, not a. I think he means. Oh right, yeah. yeah so, I understand where you're coming from, but I think Ian's asking in place of. Okay, yeah. I mean, either way, um, it would have been like an I, ARW thing. Yeah, and I, I do think you have a point that maybe a, a huge chunk of the album would maybe be different songs. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think Walls would right. be on there. Like, it feel, like, as much as I love Walls, it was a Rabin and Hodgson collaboration that got retrofitted into a Yes song. And I yeah. think um, maybe Rick's contributions would have led to, like, more stuff being added and maybe Walls won't have been added. Um, Endless Dream maybe could have sounded more like I think the keyboards don't sound super different from stuff that Rick might do in places, but maybe it would have sounded more Wakeman-esque, uh, the, yeah. those keyboards. Um, interesting, interesting questions. And then uh, Ian has, you had a much deeper take on that than I did, by the way. <laughs> uh, Ian has another question. Well, I thought I felt the dog, but she's over there. I was weird. He says, what if Keys to Ascension was solely the live album and the studio tracks were its own release? Would those songs have more general public awareness? So that that's definitely been a, a topic and later became a reality because they were separated. But the interesting about this is I just listened the other night to Keys Studio twice all the way through both times. And um, I... I I, I think the answer is yes, Ian. I think they would have had much more public awareness, fan awareness. And more than that, I listen to that music and I hear a missed opportunity. You yeah. know, I really do. Had that gone on and they they toured right after that and made another album, that that classic Yes lineup has a sound, even though... The sound of Tails is not the sound of Tormato and is not the sound of Keys Studio. Even though it's different, they still have this sound. And I think that was the most developed their sound ever was with those five guys together. Yeah. And Billy and did an amazing version with production. Right, yeah. And I think I've mentioned before how I think that had the live and studio stuff been separate in the first place, it would have been neat to, um, like, I know they were considering the title No, like K-N-O-W for something. I can't remember if it was for the live stuff or the studio stuff, but I think No would have been perfect for the live stuff since it's the stuff we already know and the keys to the ascension for the studio stuff because it's even reflecting the lyrics to, like, mind drive with like ascend and create and bring me to the power with if we don't give them the keys etc etc yeah but um i think the one could also make the case that the studio stuff on keys one and keys two could have been each released separately like maybe uh be the one and that that is could have been an ep and the stuff on keys two could have been its own studio album and but, then there's the case what if 
they just simply came out with a triple album, whatever it amounted to, have all the live stuff together and have all the studios to get stuff together as one product, one release. Yeah, I think that the best scenario for that would be to put the studio stuff first and foremost. Because it um, was the new stuff and it's a new release. Right. I mean, looking at that, um, you know, what Oliver Wakeman put together, the From a Page yeah. album, which came with Live From Lyon, uh, you know, from the In the Present tour, like the From a Page stuff is put first, I, I believe. And it's yeah. like, you, you could choose, but it's like the From a Page is like advertise. Like, I feel like it's more front and center in the marketing of that. So like for a triple album type thing, I would say you got to market the new stuff first and foremost. And I, I would say that to yes today as well, market the quest stuff first and foremost. Like I love close to the edge. I, and it makes sense to celebrate the 50th anniversary, but you also have new stuff. You got like, it's, yeah. you got to treat the new stuff very well. Um, and another aspect of why some of the key stuff sort of got, forgotten or buried or whatever you want to say is because open your eyes came out just a few weeks after yeah that was two. such a mistake as much as yeah. i do love that album that was bad and, planning. And, 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 and even that got sort of buried like Muddled. you've talked about how open your eyes is almost a lost yes album as well so yeah yeah so part of it was definitely like the marketing and the management and stuff could have been handled better like if you market things better, like promote the new music more and space it apart evenly, like this stuff would have stuck more with the uh, public consciousness. Cause now when we look back, it's like- It all got muddled. Yeah, like in my head, it's like talk feels like it has its own identity and then you get the keys stuff. And it's like, that was like a really weird period. Yeah. <laughs> like all yeah. this stuff is like- kind Like of time warp, the just a, just a, just a position of two different timelines of universe just back and forth you know talk and then the, the classic and then you got open your eyes three weeks later whatever that was just yeah and then key studio comes out just a few months before magnification comes yeah. out so it's like i bet they all yeah. would have sold more if they like you say spaced them out yeah and maybe like there are like various reasons why rick left but the way management was handling things was part of it, I believe. So maybe if that stuff had been handled better, he would have remained with the band for a bit longer. And maybe there wouldn't have been this break between that and his 2002 return. So, yeah. Yeah. That would have set a record more than two albums by the same lineup in a row. Oh, now we're like, what would the latter have been like with Rick on it? That's interesting. And that's such a great about. album, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's great like without him. So it's like, it's hard for me to like, Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Weird. Well, I yeah, think but, that does it. Yeah, thanks for those uh, what ifs, Ian. Sorry it took us a while, but I'm glad we finally got around to talking about them like these things are real great thought exercises and i'm glad we were able to it's touch fun. upon all this yeah. but yeah and thanks for listening folks you can uh, if you want the audio version you can go to anchor.fm slash yes shift and see all the different podcast platforms that we're on and if you want to support us you can click the support button there and leave what you want 
and join us on facebook.com slash yes shift for when we go live. And uh, we also upload the videos on YouTube after the fact. You just search Yes Shift in the search engine and you'll find us uh, very quickly. And And they can uh, write us. Yell at us if they want. Yeah, write us at (laughs) yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, we got great stuff still going on. Uh, I know that the Steve Howe and Virgil Howe album Lunar Miss is coming out in in a couple weeks. And we'll talk about Nexus prior to that and of course we have close to the edge anniversary coming up the actual anniversary is on the 13th but due to scheduling we'll be going live on saturday the 10th at 3 30 p.m i believe um pacific For u.s time yes shift and i will be doing my tribute to close to the edge live on drum talk tv live on the drum talk tv facebook page simulcasted to yes shift and that's at i gotta look i think noon Noon. It's looking like noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, 8 p.m. UK time. I'm sure you folks have nothing else to do in Britain, (laughs) 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, than sit and watch my ass play close to the edge, right? Yeah, so so keep an eye out on the Yes Shift Facebook page, and I'll be posting uh, the details about that as it gets closer. I know what version I'm playing, by the way. Should I give that away? Uh, If you want. Now, folks, just realize I have the right or I reserve the right to change my mind. Right, but, yeah, that, that could happen. I, I think the best uh, bootleg version to play to will be 1977 Long Beach. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's maybe not what I expected. But yeah, yeah my, my favorite version of the song to play is from Keys. But I'm not, I can't play to anything official. It's got to be a bootleg. Right. And I don't know of any bootleg version that's that close to that. So I think I'm going to go with Long Beach and, of course, play Siberian Katru and play um, And You and I. Yeah. And maybe Close to the Edge, possibly? or Yeah. Just- Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, first, the, yeah. The, whole, the whole album. Okay, the whole album. Yeah. yeah the whole I... album, including the sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for following what we do. We hope to hear from you. Feel free to chime in in the comments, whether you're watching us live on these episodes or watching the archive afterwards, we go back and read everything and we're working on a lot of other things too. A lot of fun stuff, more guests, more special episodes, um, I thought of a new whole new show that I ran by Steve the other day that we're going to. Oh, yeah. To. Uh, yeah. I put these ideas down on the okay. talk and yeah, some of them take a while to get to because other things come up, but we have them um, on record for when we do have slots open. Great. All right. Thanks, everybody. We shall see you soon. Bye.